Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean for Wednesday. First of yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, can uh, kids solve the truancy problem? Uh, how did Marcus booby tra- trap his mailbox and why? Uh, but before any of that, uh, the emergency housing story uh, is gathering momentum again. People have started talking about Rotorua again. Uh, to be fair, some people, especially at News Talks FB, have never really stopped talking about Rotorua. So for the next five years, these people are still in those motels. They're still trashing them like we saw on Sunday. They're still causing fights on the street outside. They're still freaking out their neighbours so that the neighbours sleep with baseball bats by the door. So for the next five years, Rotorua's reputation will keep on getting trashed. Who of us is going to want to go on holiday to Rotorua? If we can afford to go to Hawke's Bay or New Plymouth or Queenstown, anywhere else, why would we go to Rotorua? Why would we put up with this nonsense? Which means there is going to be no other business for these motels, really, other than to keep doing what they're doing, which is housing the homeless. Eventually, if it hasn't happened already, this is going to drive families out of town. They're going to take their kids. They're going to find jobs and schools in towns that are safer and towns that have a future. They will sell their houses before the value of their houses falls too far. And the people who will be left behind in Rotorua will be the cash-strapped, people who are just too poor to leave, be the emergency accommodation people, it be the moteliers and the security guards looking after them. National and the Māori Party are completely right to call for an inquiry into what's happened here, because this is, as Māori Party co-leader Rawiri Waititi says, a train wreck. And we will probably for decades talk about this ourselves, our kids and our grandkids will talk about what the 6th Labour government did to the town of Rotorua and how great it used to be and what it's like now. But no inquiry will ever save Rotorua from what's happening because the damage is done already. This was once a jewel in our tourism crown, but it seems destined to end up like Pātia, a town that just ran out of opportunities. Rotorua is just a bigger version of Pātia. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I spent one of the best nights of my life in Rotorua once. I was there on a uh, in a previous job, I was there on a work trip, um, staying the night in uh, Rota Vegas, and I didn't go out or anything. I stayed in. There was a spa bath in my room. There's, a spa- There's lots of spa baths in rooms. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know if it's the case in the rooms where the emergency housing is happening. Because of the geothermal activity, there's a lot of hot water running around the place. And I had a spa bath in my room. There was a there was a one there was a day nighter, ODI, on TV, um, and I just sat in the bath and watched Chris Ken smash the ball all over the park, and us won that one day. It was a good night, just by myself. Now that I say it out loud, it sounds a bit sad, but it wasn't sad. It was great, believe me. Anyway, the situation Rotor is sad. They don't care about the data. They don't care about accountability. They are one of the first governments I think I've ever I've ever seen who give zero Fs about accountability. They are tribal ideologues, and if you're not with them, you're against them. I just want to see the results. As I say, if if Harry Tan can show he's getting results, I would reluctantly concede sure, more money. Fill your boots. I would reluctantly concede that Tiny from Visions in Rotorua should get another $14 million if he can show the families that he's supposed to be caring for are getting the help they desperately need. Instead, all we get is specious BS from this government who are driven by theories, by ideas, by broad overarching visions 
and who seem to think that data and accountability and results are patriarchal constructs and tools of the bloody colonists. You think, I get the impression from Kerry Woodham lately that she's mad as hell and she's not going to take it anymore. Have you noticed that about her? In fact, the last few mornings that she's come in, I, don't, I, I haven't even found her good morning that convincing, to be honest. She seems pretty head up. And I think some of the callers into the station are as well. I can't fix all the problem, but I have had a, a solution for a small part of it. There's a lot of Maori land out there that's being underutilised, and it's it's owned by the Marais. Now, if the Marais turned around and, and basically asked their people, you know, who wants to come back to their land? And for every family that wants to come back to their land or every person who wants to come back to their land, if we were to spend $100,000 on each of them that want to come home, then they'd have a, a community. And if the Marae own it, we all know the bad buggers in our family. Mm. So you're not going to, to let them go into a... a you know, like a, a, a not a portacom, but these transportable houses that you can get now. Yeah, but yeah. Kelson, who's going to pay the hundred thousand dollars that you're talking about? Um, there, uh, there is Maori land that is available for what they call papakainga housing. Yeah, papakainga. Right? Yeah, and that's being supported by Tapuni Kōkiri, the Maori Development Agency. They do do some funding for that, and there are lots of Marae around the country who are doing that. Problem is that a lot of them are in very, very remote. Places, places around the country, you see. So where do they work? I'd love to live on my marae out at Little River, just out of Christchurch, but it's too far to come in. Unless, unl- unless we all can just work from home. Could that be something we could do? Nah, that'll never catch on. Right, um, let's leave the emergency housing situation there and talk about another emergency. Uh, kids just not going to school anymore. Never really got the hang of it again after COVID, have they? It was the students who came up with the slogan, let's get back to school, Tautokoro. Uh, and it's working. One school quoted said they've seen for the first time this year 100% attendance in some of the classrooms. And that just happened overnight as a result of the children talking about all the positive things that are happening at school. So how cool's that? You're using carrots, not sticks, encouraging the kids rather than looking to penalise them. Now, I know this approach doesn't always work, but in this case it is working. And if tangible results like that keep coming in, then it's a great example of a community solving its own problems. Sadly, it's not always the case, and that's why measures to combat truancy need to keep evolving and seeping into every level of school communities, the teachers, the principals, the parents, the students. But I love the idea of uh, flipping the approach on its head and trying something new, especially when it is student-led. You know, I think that's where a lot of the problems lie with our education system these days. It's so old school. You know, it's always just stuff they've done the same way for a million years. There's no evolution or modernization of it as kids' needs change. You know, too often students are told, oh, this is just how it's always been done, instead of asking them how it could be done better. So big ups to Northland schools and communities having success with this approach. I hope other schools and communities are paying attention and taking note, and I hope more student-driven solutions find their way into schools eventually too. Sometimes the best people to fix the problems are actually those most affected by them. Are they just running the place now? Sounds like it. I mean, you know, in theory, I can see why that 
might work there. It's it's not a solution that's going to work that well. With uh, I'm just trying to transfer it across to other places where we've got terrible skill shortages at the moment, like uh, hospitals. Like you just can't put the patients in charge of fixing the waitlist problem. I don't think. Otherwise, you've got a doctor, you've got a Mr. Bean doing his own dentistry situation, haven't you? Like, you know, I don't want to do my own colonoscopy. I just, I, just, I really don't want to look up my own bum. Have I taken this analogy too far? I think I've taken it too far. I'm not sure how it got there. Quick, quick, quick. Let's change the subject and talk about Marcus's letterbox instead. I kind of got slightly obsessed about the junk mail I was getting. I don't know why I got so obsessed about it, but and I was specifying on the certain letters and circles I didn't want, and they would never adhere to that. You know, you'd say I don't want the mitre. Well, I'd want the mitre ten one, but not the new world one. So I was specifying, writing on that, specifying the uh, junk mail I wanted and didn't want. Didn't go so well. They never adhered to it. Then I sort of started thinking, well, maybe I could actually. This is going to cast me in quite a bad light, people. I thought maybe I could wire something up and there could be a speaker in the letterbox and I could see the letterbox from the house. It had a balcony and I thought I could hide behind the balcony. It was like a stucco house with sort of a 1930s feel. We had a balcony with sort of a... um, that you could hide down below. I thought I could hide down in the balcony with like a periscope. And then when they came and delivered the letter, I could talk to them as though I was the letterbox. I could say things like, oh, no circulars. So I put a lot of thought into it. And fortunately, I had the wherewithal to have the uh, realisation that these people were just going about their job on fairly low wages, just trying to make a living. They didn't really need me hiding on my balcony with a periscope, pretending to be the letterbox and yelling at them. So that was quite a watershed moment for me. I thought, that's it. I'll get rid of the letterbox. And that way there will be no junk mail. It would be within one of the top 10 things I've ever done in my life. Very, very freeing. So I don't know where that's going to get us as far as topics go, but yeah, that's me. I mean, part of me still would want because it would have been a lot of fun hiding there of an evening. But no, I didn't go through with it. Wow. Uh, so that happened. Almost happened. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I also don't really understand why people get so upset about junk mail. It's not that hard to just grab it and stick it in your recycling, is it? Like, I literally just grab it straight out of the mailbox. There used to be a time when I was allowed to eat pizza and I'd save some of the pizza specials. That's not a thing anymore, obviously. Um, it's good if it depends on how flammable it is. Sometimes it goes into the fire pit. That's a way to get your fire pit started. With a bit of junk mail. Um, some of it's a bit glossy for that, isn't it? But yeah, it's not 
I, I'm confused by the people who go take such um, extreme steps to avoid people putting junk mail in their mailbox. I, I've seen a few like homemade signs saying, please absolutely don't under pain of death put any junk mail in this mailbox and then they've stuck this massive sign you know, all over their mailbox which is definitely a lot, makes it look a lot worse than it would if it was just a bit of junk mail in here I've always found that a bit weird anyway I'm Glenn ZB thank you for listening to this audio junk mail and it'll be back in your box again tomorrow see you then